Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, January 8th. In today's news, 176 passengers are dead after a commercial airliner crashes in Tehran. Mitch McConnell says he has the votes to start an impeachment trial without making a deal on witnesses with Democrats. And a top Facebook executive says his company was responsible for Donald Trump's 2016 victory. But first, the big idea. No American casualties have been reported after Iran launched more than a dozen ballistic missiles at two Iraqi bases housing U.S. personnel last night. The strikes are Tehran's retaliation for the U.S. drone strike last week in Baghdad that killed Quds Force leader Qassem Soleimani. President Trump has repeatedly warned that the United States will respond to any Iranian action and that Iranian targets have already been selected. The president, meeting late last night with his senior national security advisors at the White House, issued his initial response on Twitter and struck a far less bellicose tone, suggesting that he is possibly looking for an off-ramp. All is well, he tweeted, adding, quote, so far, so good. He said he will deliver an address to the American people later this morning. Political responses across Washington were a mixture of warnings that Iran had gravely miscalculated U.S. resolve and trepidation that the situation could quickly escalate into a major conflagration. The missiles struck the vast al-Assad airbase in western Iraq and a base at Erbil in the country's Kurdistan region. Both bases were already on high alert. About 5,000 U.S. troops are based in Iraq, and military officials have sent close to 10,000 additional forces to the region in recent days amid the rising tensions. The strikes, which took place near Don, local time, were initially announced by Iranian media. Trump visited that al-Assad base around Christmas time a year ago. On Sunday, he rejected Iraqi calls for the withdrawal of U.S. troops by saying there would be no departure until Baghdad repaid Washington for that particular facility, which he noted had cost billions of dollars to build. The Trump administration is working now to get its story straight ahead of a series of briefings today on Capitol Hill. Some senior administration officials are continuing to suggest that Soleimani was killed last week as retaliation for increasing Iranian aggression, while others continue to insist without providing any evidence to the public that he was killed to avert an imminent threat to Americans. At one end of the spectrum, you have National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien, who was on Fox and Friends yesterday and said that Trump authorized eliminating Soleimani because the Iranian general was looking to kill American diplomats and soldiers in, quote, significant numbers in the coming days. But in comments before reporters at the State Department yesterday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo pointed to Iran's past behavior as the reason that Trump ordered the strike, arguing that the days that led up to the strike, his words, were what made the response urgent. Defense Secretary Mark Esper split the difference, noting that there was, quote, exquisite intelligence, that's a term of significance in spy circles, indicating that Soleimani was conducting, preparing, and planning military operations akin to the, quote, terrorist activities that he'd been pursuing against the United States for more than two decades. Well, some nuance is common when interpreting intelligence. The mixed messaging among Trump's top advisors is potentially problematic for senior officials as they brief lawmakers who remain divided over the operation. 
CIA Director Gina Haspel, National Security Agency Director Paul Nakasone, and Director of National Intelligence Joe McGuire huddled yesterday with a bipartisan group of Congress's most senior lawmakers and the leaders of the intelligence committees in the House and Senate. This is the so-called Gang of Eight. And they discussed the most sensitive intelligence related to the strike. Later today, Pompeo, Esper, Haspel, and General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, are expected back to the Hill to brief all the members of the House and Senate in private about the strike. According to Esper, only the Gang of Eight will receive that so-called exquisite intelligence. In the intelligence community, I'm told that the term exquisite is often applied to satellites or other highly classified reconnaissance systems that provide detailed information, including the words an individual spoke or a person's precise movements. So Esper's choice of words suggests that the U.S. could have intercepted communications or other intelligence that he believes revealed Soleimani's intentions. But again, we don't know what that intelligence was. Trump has often cited the death over the last few weeks of an American defense contractor as a reason for the missile strikes against Iraqi militias that he ordered late last month, which then prompted the swarming of our embassy in Baghdad, which then helped predicate or precipitate the decapitation strike on Soleimani. We have identified that contractor. He was an interpreter who was born in Iraq and had been living until recently in Sacramento. Narez Hamid, 33 years old, became a naturalized U.S. citizen in 2017, according to his widow. He was the father of two boys. They're ages two and eight. In recent years as an Arabic interpreter for U.S. forces in Iraq, Hamid was known to decorate his living space with pictures of the boys. He was killed on December 27th when an Iranian-backed militia fired rockets at a U.S. military base near the northern Iraqi city of Kirkuk. Meanwhile, Trump's re-election campaign has begun filling Facebook with ads touting Soleimani's death. The ads praise the, quote, swift actions of our commander-in-chief for making our country safer. In contrast, Senator Amy Klobuchar, the Minnesota Democrat who's running for president, canceled a campaign fundraiser last night in D.C. after the Iranian strikes. Klobuchar said it would be inappropriate to have a fundraiser when American forces are being fired upon. So she nixed her appearance at the home of a former Yale classmate. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, a Ukrainian passenger jet crashed in Iran shortly after takeoff from the Tehran airport, killing everyone aboard. This happened shortly after the missile strikes on Iraq, but the incidents appear unrelated. The Boeing 737 likely crashed due to technical difficulties, according to Iranian state media. The flight was operated by Ukraine International Airlines, and it was headed to the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, from Tehran's Imam Khomeini International Airport. Ukraine's foreign ministry says of the 176 victims, 82 were Iranians. There were also 63 Canadians, 11 Ukrainians, including nine crew members, 10 Swedes, four Afghans, three Germans, and three Britons. Iranian officials said more than 140 of the passengers were Iranian citizens, suggesting that some may have had dual citizenship. Ukraine's embassy in Iran said preliminary details point to engine failure. The embassy issued a statement ruling out terrorism, but then it quickly took out the statement or took down the statement off its website without any explanation. 
Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said on his Facebook page that he's personally involved in supervising all measures to be taken. The aircraft involved in the incident is a Boeing 737-800. It was only three years old, and it was purchased from the manufacturer as new by the airline. The carrier says it had its last routine technical maintenance on Monday, and a flight data recorder from the plane has been recovered. Though the Boeing 737-800 hasn't been flagged for issues, the newer 737 MAX is what was grounded worldwide last March after that crash in Ethiopia. Several airlines have said they are suspending all flights over Iran and Iraq in response to this latest crash and the military tensions. Number two, after Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell announced that he had enough votes to proceed with Trump's impeachment trial without reaching an agreement on witnesses with Democrats, Speaker Nancy Pelosi replied that the impeachment article still won't go over to the Senate until she learns more about how the trial will be conducted. In a letter to Democratic lawmakers last night, Pelosi hinted that she would not submit the articles nor name House impeachment managers, who will effectively serve as prosecutors in the Senate, until McConnell, the Kentucky Republican, publicly releases the legislation that would detail the parameters and procedures for the trial. In his announcement, McConnell said he has the votes to begin the trial in the format of his own choice, which he says is opening arguments from the House impeachment managers and then Trump's defense team as well as time for senators to submit questions in writing. Under the majority leader's plan, a decision on whether to call witnesses would be made only once that first phase of the trial is over. Asked if he could guarantee witnesses will be called, McConnell said that will only be discussed once the Senate votes to proceed and not before. Pelosi's refusal to transmit the articles has also spurred a number of Republican rank-and-file senators to craft legislation and strategize about ways that they could begin the trial without the House's blessing. But McConnell, speaking privately to his members over lunch yesterday, made clear that he won't make any moves on a trial until the articles have been formally transmitted. Number three. In an internal post that leaked out yesterday, senior Facebook executive Andrew Bosworth said that his company was responsible for Trump's 2016 victory and that it may help him win again this year. But he argued that executives must resist the temptation to make policy changes that could alter the course of legitimate political debate in an effort to defeat Trump. The Post reflected a combination of anguish, defensiveness, and brash self-confidence that many of the company's employees have privately expressed since Trump's unexpected victory more than three years ago. Bosworth's post also shed light on the thinking within the company's highest levels as it heads into a new election year amid controversies over its reluctance to police lies by politicians or limit their ability to narrowly target small groups of voters. Critics have said that addressing both issues is key to helping stanch the flow of disinformation on the platform. Bosworth dismissed the idea that Russian efforts to manipulate U.S. voters over Facebook were crucial to Trump's victory. He also downplayed the importance of the use of Facebook data by the political consulting firm Cambridge Analytica, which worked with the Trump campaign. Rather, Bosworth, who ran all advertising at Facebook for several years, said Trump got elected because he ran the single best digital campaign he's ever seen from any advertiser in any industry, political or otherwise. Bosworth, who's a self-proclaimed liberal and donated heavily to Hillary Clinton in 2016, praised the Trump digital team as brilliant. Citing J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings epic, Bosworth then expressed serious concern about the possible corrupting influence of Facebook's own power, comparing it to the ring carried by the hobbit Frodo Baggins. 
Bosworth said the current election season carries a similar moral risk with regard to how Facebook sets advertising policies that could affect Trump and other politicians who have vociferously opposed any possible new restrictions on the platform. He said he finds himself often thinking of the Lord of the Rings at that moment when Frodo offers the ring to Galadriel, and she imagines using the power righteously at first, but she knows it will eventually corrupt her. As tempting as it is to use the tools available to Facebook to help liberals in 2020, he wrote in this internal post, he said they must never do it or they will become that which they fear. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, January 8th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. If you want to get more news about the impeachment process, you can subscribe to a podcast feed from The Washington Post with all our updates in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's big idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. Find it at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts.